0: back to another episode of the Sarah cast conversations in social emotional learning it's not easy to be a parent right now i personally am moving between mom entrepreneur wife ceo these are all demanding roles requiring not only my time but also the best version of myself in each moment i can't just go through the motions i have to be fully present and listen Whether I'm speaking with a reporter, singing, let's change the diver, song to my youngest, meeting with investors, managing my team, or doing bath time with my girls, it's fulfilling, but difficult. Working from home with two young daughters over the past six months has been a new level of exhausting, but also truly a new level of fun. We've gotten to live in the make-believe world of my three-year-old and her younger sister singing songs from Frozen and pretending to be monsters right in our living room. We've had dance parties, we've built entirely new worlds with leftover magazines and paint and toilet paper. We've made up songs and rhymes, no matter how long the days feel. This time with the girls rejuvenates us and grounds us and keeps my creative spirit alive. As the world feels like it's falling apart outside of our home, inside we've been able to create and live in magic driven and designed by the CEO of our household, my three-year-old. This isn't a mystery or a surprise, it's science. Play is a critical part of social development and learning for children and adults alike. We all benefit from play, both emotionally and cognitively. But somewhere along the way, the educational practices in schools moved away from this, with these critical social skills often downplayed as soft skills, instead of being integral to learning. In today's episode, I talked to my dear friend and longtime mentor, Dr. Kathy Hirsch-Pasek, a leading expert in play-based learning to learn more about the science of learning and how play-based learning supports social and emotional development. Kathy is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, the Stanley and Deborah Lefkowitz Faculty Fellow in the Department of Psychology at Temple University and the director of Temple University's Infant Language Laboratory. She has been recognized by the American Psychological Association, the American Psychological Society, the Society for Research in Child Development, Cognitive Science Society, and the American Academy of Education, Arts, and Sciences. Her research in the areas of early language development and infant cognition has been funded by the National Science Foundation, the National Institutes of Health and Human Development, and the Institute of Education Sciences, resulting in 14 books and over 200 publications. She is on the advisory board of the Boston Children's Museum, Jumpstart, and Disney Junior. She writes for the Huffington Post, is on the core team for the Lego Research Network, and is the founder of Playful Learning Landscapes. One of my favorite parts of the Sarah cast is bringing you in depth conversations with leading experts from various fields related to social emotional learning. And Kathy is one of those experts that every educator And parent should know. She has personally helped me become a better parent and person, and I know you'll walk away from today's conversation inspired to bring more play and fun into your own life and the life of your children. Today I am joined by child language and early learning expert and longtime friend, mentor and advisor, Dr. Kathy Hirsch-Pasek. Kathy, can we start by you just telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey within education?
1: Well, sure. Um, I think the the biggest part of my bio is not what's on my bio. It's that I love kids. And Mm -hmm. I think I've loved kids since I'm, oh gosh, three or four, my mother said. (laughs) when I loved little people, people littler than I. And by the time I was 13, I was working in a camp and I was helping to dream up wonderful things that younger kids could engage in that would just keep people stimulated. So I was just a person who loved children. I fell in love with psychology and education when I went to the University of Pittsburgh, and music, by the way. So it was like I was a kind of trifecta and um, decided to put them all together. So I graduated in psychology and music, and the kind of psychology that I loved was the kind that took it from the textbook to the uh, to the classroom in the living room. It's, um, it's what I now call edible science that's accessible, mm-hmm. digestible, and usable. And um, I've had just a really great career of studying those aspects of how little children brilliantly develop and, uh, and how they learn. And it just has always seemed to me a natural that we should try to help stimulate and teach young kids and young families in the way that children best learn. So um, so I've been pulling it together for the last 10 years, 15 years maybe. There's been a relatively new field called the science of learning, which has put learning back on the front stage. Borrowing from a number of different disciplines, from psychology and neuropsych and neurology, computer science, linguistics you name it and really tried to figure out how in the world do people learn. And now it's such an exciting place to be because we are discovering not only how the brain works, but how we can best. Use what we know about children learning to keep the fire in their eyes burning. So that's kind of my personal journey, and raising three kids didn't didn't hurt either. It teaches you what psychology is really about.
0: That's right, an opportunity to put into practice and apply all of your research. That's right,
1: that's right, or to have them change the theories, which is really what happened.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, before we dive into a deeper discussion, I thought we could start with a quick centering and opportunity for us to check in with one another. It's been a hectic morning. There's a lot of moving pieces in the world. Mm -hmm. So let's take a moment to center ourselves and just think about how we're feeling in this moment. And if we could reflect that feeling through a sound. What might that feeling sound like? Hmm.
1: What an interesting question.
0: So, what we'll do is we'll each share our sound. I'll go first. And then we'll mirror, we'll mimic that sound back to one another to validate each other's feelings and expressions of that feeling in this moment. So, I am feeling. And then we would together go boopity boop boom.
1: Ready? uh huh boop boop
0: Okay. And Kathy, how are you feeling right now? Well, I think I'm
1: always feeling doo-doo, doo-doo. Awesome.
0: <laughs> so together we would go. <laughs> Awesome. So, do you want to expand it at all on your sound, how you're feeling right now?
1: Well, I think, I think, you know, generally I start out with a really positive, high energy approach. And uh, right now, these are very uncertain times. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So, I think it's approaching each thing with optimism, but there's always a little bit of caution in there, Mm -hmm. hence the rest.
0: And I am feeling uh, just supremely grateful to have the opportunity to have this conversation with you and for our listeners to be able to learn from you and feeling curious about all that you have to share with us.
1: Oh, thank you. That's so sweet.
0: So, Kathy, one of the, my favorite things that you've ever said to me as a mentor uh, was after I had uh, my first daughter, Sadell, and you said to me, Sarah you can't mess this up. Kids are built to last. (laughs) Absolutely. Just just don't forget, don't forget kids are built to last. No matter how much unknown that you feel as a first time mom, you're really not going to mess this up. If you could give one piece of advice to parents and educators, especially right now in this world that we're living in, what would it be?
1: Well, it's, you know, I was going to say enjoy the ride. Um, but, but it's really tough mm-hmm. to fully enjoy the ride when the world outside of your space um, seems so risky
0: mm-hmm.
1: and feels so unsafe, not just for us, but how do we protect our children? And I think to remember that whatever enclave we build whatever cocoon, whatever pod, that's the safety net. And then our job, well we often think of it as parents, we think our job is to be CEO and, you know, complete director of everything.
0: <laughs> but our,
1: our children come with a whole lot of wonderful stuff built in. And that if if we can be as good at observing and joining in, as opposed to directing, um, then we're going to recognize the special treasures, the treasures that our children give to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So what might that look like? Do you have an example of um, how we might do that as parents or as educators?
1: Yeah, I, I do. And I, I think especially in the time of COVID, um, let's just take the standard you know, household of somebody who, was at home, um, and trying to get work done (laughs) and the kids got a little zoom schedule going on here and they don't really want to be on the zoom. I mean, some do, but when they do, it's for like 10 minutes as opposed to for longer periods of time, um, elementary kids a little bit longer, but it's hard. It was hard on the teacher. This was hard on the parents, and it was really hard on these students, on our children. Um, and then what was to happen for the rest of the day, you know, when they weren't connected to the computer? They were bored, it became mundane. So I think part of it is to recognize uh, a very cliched line now that we are really all in this together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that um, we can follow our children's interest. And sometimes they're in funky places. Uh, my granddaughter, who's five, actually loves to watch these films from Alaska with my husband. I swear <laughs> to God. They get on the computer together and they watch the bears in Alaska catching the salmon because it's the salmon run. Mm -hmm. You know, and they can watch this forever. And they comment on which bear climbed which falls. So sometimes you wouldn't believe what would be of interest. Some kids are more musical. Some kids want to know how movies made. And if we follow, follow in a little bit, Mm -hmm. as opposed to always leading, we discover not only that we're interested in new things, but who our children really are. And that actually is the basis too for some of the play therapy and the art therapy that's out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's to give our kids expression. I mean, when's the last time a child just sat down and drew whatever they wanted to draw? Right. I mean, the family portrait probably isn't going to look like your family at all. Right. But who cares?
0: Yeah. So what do you think some are some things that parents are likely already doing that they may be able to adjust to more intentionally transform their play into a learning opportunity or to bring play more into the forefront of the home?
1: Well, I think, I think parents are doing a lot, right? I mean, as I was fond of saying during this whole COVID experience, um, you know, if your kids are eating and they're sleeping and you're keeping the household going and calm. and they have activities that you've thought of or not thought of because they just happened. You got so many Amazon boxes that you decided to report. <laughs> you know're um, yeah. kind of do- you're kind of doing it. You're kind of doing okay.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and the important thing is that you don't really have to order stuff online to entertain. Um, certainly at least young children. For for older children, you know, you have to be a little bit more clever. You got to kind of invent the game or the obstacle course Mm -hmm. or the challenge. Um, For younger kids, honestly, the boxes are good enough. Yeah. You know, and they make tunnels and they make forts. And, well, I mean, just last week, uh, my eldest son, Josh, built a split-level fort out of Amazon boxes. And <laughs> the kids, they were entertained for days on that one because they could go to the different levels of the fort. They thought this was the coolest thing that ever happened to them.
0: So I know your family, and you have a very creative family. But what would you say to parents who maybe? struggle with the idea of play and creativity and may feel like it doesn't come naturally to them. How should they begin? Where should they start to incorporate play in the lives of their themselves and their kids?
1: Well, one is again, to take your child's lead and and not be afraid of it because the truth is it's a release for you too. Mm-hmm. Play, play is not just a release for every animal species on the planet and mm-hmm. children, but, But for us, too, I mean, and we kind of know that. Um, That's why I think we get into sports and we get into game nights and stuff like that, (laughs) even though we say we're not so creative. Oh, but yes, we are. We're more afraid of it than we are not creative. We're afraid of (laughs) making up a song that's silly because we think we're going to look crazy. I mean, who cares? Why do you think we're afraid of it? I think it's about self-image. I think we all develop this self-image and this self-identity that doesn't allow us to be spontaneous or impulsive or doesn't go with whatever, you know, the self-image is that we're supposed to have. Well, I mean, maybe maybe in that sense, COVID's been a blessing because it's given us more, maybe too much, downtime. Mm -hmm. It's shown us that even if we have to wear a tie or dress up, you know, our outfit um, when we are zooming away, Mm -hmm. we're still wearing shorts and sweatpants on the bottom. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're breaking a lot of the convention anyway. And I think as long as we're doing that, let's go full hog and see what we're capable of.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm.
1: give yourself a breather to not be in a suit. Right.
0: You talk about, you know, edible science and making this work digestible, accessible, and usable. Mm -hmm. What are some really small things, some accessible things that parents or educators can do to incorporate play into their daily routine?
1: Um, Well, you know, I'm I'm first going to start with something that's non-play, but it's so important and the science is so clear about it, and we we don't generally do it, which is having conversations. Like We don't tend to have conversations with our kids. We're busy. We have a schedule. We think we can't just talk to them. Mm -hmm. But giving them the time of day, listening to what they have to say, is perhaps the most important thing that we can do, not only for their mental health, but for their um, cognitive and social development as well.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: The other thing we can do is taking turn games. You know, for an older kid, it might be playing catch in the backyard. For a baby, it might be rolling a ball Mm -hmm. and just seeing if the baby can roll the ball back. These are simple adjustments, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Lots of us are using things like paper towels right now gonna run on toilet paper, right? Well, what are you doing when you get get to the end of that role? Uh-huh. There are telescopes there. Yeah, there are megaphones there, right? Mm-hmm. What yeah. can we make out of the cardboard that's just hanging around? What can we do as far as gadgets and gizmos? If you happen to be somebody, who is really into, you know, electric stuff, and you have an older kid who's maybe in late elementary or middle school? Well, go ahead and see if you can explore what it takes to make a battery work, or to make connections. These are little. Um, I set up a hopscotch in my living room. All right, that uses numbers. Put a ruler down, kids jump. You're teaching number skills, right? Fraction day. Um, Ellie just learned how to read. So I've been making up Mad Libs. There's an easy one. Write a story. Make it about something you care about. If you like cooking, there's a math lesson. Right,
0: right. So what does all of this play-based learning do to develop social-emotional learning skills?
1: Well... I mean, we've known for a long time that both free play and what I call guided play, which is, you know, like a children's museum or a Montessori classroom. It's curated by the adult, but the child finds his way through it or her way through it. Um, We've known for a long time that social dominance, uh, learning to inhibit responses comes from play. When dogs are playing with each other and we've seen it, you always find out who the dominant dog is, right? Because there's one that learns to hold back its response. Same thing is true in monkeys. And guess what? Same thing is true in humans. (laughs) We learn who's going to take the lead, who isn't going to take the lead. How do I take turns? How do I get the swing from another kid on the playground without slugging them off it? You know? (laughs) These are all skills that we have to learn. And later, those kids who have the social emotional skills that they learned in play and and learned how to negotiate and navigate, well, they're the ones we call bosses <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: so I mean there's a whole there's a whole lot in play that teaches us um, what I call colla- you know collaboration which is a, a, a cradle-to-career kind of skill.
0: Mm-hmm. And how have you seen that evolve over the years within the public school setting?
1: Well, the public school setting, I, I have to give you just a little drash on this one because it's actually an interesting story. You know, since 1975, there has been what we have affectionately called the achievement gap, real inequity. Now, it came in before 1975, to be sure. It's it's just that we started certain national measures in 1975. And so what it did, it was like putting it all under the microscope. It allowed us to see what we were doing to young children and and to children in school. And, um, And so you got a string... Uh, First, uh, a very major publication called The Nation at Risk came out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and said that if we didn't get our educational system together, we were putting our entire nation at risk. And I think think politically we have seen that, and we've seen some of that even around the world. Um, When you get to more, you know, authoritarian kind of leaderships, it's usually because um, the public hasn't been taught critical thinking skills and the social skills and the academic skills that they need. So the response was to, um, to academicize a lot of school subjects. And the result of that happened in a lot of different ways. One is by the 1990s at least, and, and as you came in with No Child Left Behind, you saw people taking certain subjects out of the schools and replacing it with more reading and math skills. Now, the reading and math skills is very important. Don't get me wrong, um, but maybe not to the exclusion of the arts, of science, of social studies, of creating a whole human being. Now you hit the turn of the millennium and this trend actually continues. Some of it codified in ways that wasn't intended in, uh, in the core curriculum. And you also add to that mix that we don't think of it, but only since uh, 2007, 2007, right, only 13 years ago, We got the smartphone. Mm. So the kids that are, you know, carrying around cell phones in school, have them by their side in their pockets, that's only 13 years old. And the first generation to have grown up with it is only in middle school. You know, and just starting middle school with that. Add to that that three years later, you brought in the iPad. Now, the iPhone and the iPad were game changers. Put together with all of these facts, you have more academics. Everybody's riding the wave. So you end up with so-called educational apps, which are hardly educational at all. They're not built on the learning sciences. You have a fear factor where parents are spending more time indoors. So their kids are spending more time on these electronic devices when they get Mm -hmm. home from school. And what that means is everything is becoming academicized. Mm -hmm. Um, And it leaves us in a state where uh, social skills become, as they have been called, soft skills.
0: Right.
1: Um, That is the worst name I have ever heard. Yeah, with (laughs) non-cognitive skill. I was just going to say that's the next word, non-or what about non-IQ
0: confidences? And
1: (laughs) terrible, because in both cases, in all cases, human brains are socially wired. Isn't that amazing? As one friend of mine puts it, the human brain—the human brain—unlike any other species depends on being connected to other humans from the get-go. We attach to our babies. They are not able to take care of themselves. So everything that we learn is founded on relationships. And even our ability to do reading and math is founded on social grounding, which then gives way to communication, which you can't have without the social grounding which then gives way to the kind of learning that we do in math and reading. So there you have it. The story of what happened to social skills.
0: So what would you hope to see in the future?
1: Well, I actually developed a a system that I call the six C's with my colleague, Roberta Golinkoff of 40 years. And, um, and we came up with a new way of thinking about education so that you could see the model in all of its beauty and create a profile of where you're at and where your child is at and what's important. And grounding that whole system is what we call collaboration. It includes everything from building a community to being a caring human being to developing character to building human to human relationships. And that means, you know, connecting on the rhythms like you do and move this world, and knowing how to look in people's eyes, and really getting serious about what it means to understand the humanness, the social mandate of what the human brain requires. Um, our second C beyond collaboration is communication which includes the language back and forth, getting good language skills, reading skills, writing skills, communication writ large, even nonverbal. That leads us to the content, which is our middle C. But that includes not only the traditional topics, but also learning to learn skills, including attention and memory, and impulse control and planning. Again, things that we learn through social emotional development. Um, That moves to critical thinking, number four, which requires content, which moves to the next level, which is then creative innovation, that freedom to go beyond what you've learned, to generalize it, to use it, and the confidence to give it a try. All these are built and social-emotional learning as well. And that's why when the scientists look at what's happening with what we sometimes call executive function skills or emotion regulation, again, things you learn in social-emotional development, it accounts for a heck of a lot of your academic outcomes. Who would have ever guessed that? So we need a fuller picture of development and the six C's helps us to give that. And it gives us, I think a broadband way of evaluating our classrooms, ourselves, the opportunities we give our kids and, uh, and our curricula.
0: So when, when you talked about how parents can do some of those things Mm -hmm. in really specific ways, in their homes, what advice do you have for teachers who would like to incorporate the six Cs and more play into their classroom? Are there any specific things that teachers could be doing?
1: Yes, abso- you know, absolutely, and they're probably doing a lot of it already, but they can do more. Um, you know, we have and are developing an entire uh, training piece that we're using in the state of New Hampshire that is going toward playful learning um, classrooms. And we're developing several pieces through my work at the Brookings Institution that'll hopefully be out really soon. Um, And we're trying to infuse the classroom with these playful, engaged, experiential, active learning moments. So what can teachers do? Um, I saw a classroom where the teacher wanted to teach about weather and what they did to teach the science of weather, is they got a cardboard box and gave it to one kid. And this is kindergarten classroom. And that kid was filming a little girl who was standing in front of a a map of the United States when I went in. And another little boy who was sitting off to the side. And I said to them, what are you doing? And they said, oh, we're, uh, we're forecasting catch the um, language here, (laughs) forecasting the weather. Did you know that there is a high pressure system coming over from California? And I'm like, are you kidding? We should expect that there will be precipitation on this day. Now, if you told me they were kindergarten vocabulary items, I'd be impressed. Mm -hmm. So think about a theme. And think about how you can use that theme. And that theme can be anything you like. Want to teach math and you like knitting? Teach kids to knit. How many do you put in a row? How do you figure Mm -hmm. out a pattern? Patterns are the basis of learning mathematics. So all this becomes possible once we open our eyes to thematic-based, play-based learning. And I will tell you that I use play-based learning in my college classrooms as well because when you get kids engaged and you have a theme, they learn it better and they never forget it. And the goal of learning is to really not just memorize, but to learn to have it stick and to be able to transfer it to new
0: situations. Mm. So as we embark on this next season of remote learning Mm -hmm. and all of the Zoom fatigue and eye strain that comes with (laughs) it. what suggestions do you have for parents and teachers?
1: Um, I I would say um, what, what good Zoom training is, is short bursts, not long hangouts. And I think we have to learn to be active. I think we have to learn to give recess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and I think we have to learn to uh, follow the lead of our kids a little bit. Because if we do, we really can take any theme, as I said, and we can infuse it with exactly what we have To teach our children. I don't care if it's algebra. I don't care if it's fractions. I don't care what it is. We can make it happen. And I'll tell you that we're actually doing some of this on the school playgrounds. Can you imagine? We just built uh, something with my student, um, former student, now professor at University of California, Irvine, Andres Bustamante. And uh, I love his name. <laughs> anyway, uh, Andy decided to paint a basketball court. And instead of the, uh, the three-point area, it's now a one-point area. And as you move in, you get a three-quarter and a half and a quarter. And those teachers were killing themselves trying to teach fractions in middle school, at middle elementary. To the students, and they were they were just coming up dry, and then Andy had two weeks of the children, and four days each week in recess, and all of a sudden the kids were doing fraction decimal conversion. Now you tell me, you know, uh, we invented a game we called Parkopolis. It's just like we put it in a museum, and. It can go into the streets and in the schoolyards. And by gosh, if you do stuff like that, you've created what we're calling a playful learning landscape. And in a playful learning landscape, our children are experiencing right out in public spaces, what you can do to infuse an environment with learning opportunities. So I think the classroom is a great learning environment. So is the playground. And let's see what we can do to build theme-based learning that people can get into.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, during a time when there's a lot of fear of public spaces and <laughs> playgrounds <like> <laughs> and so much so much of our learning and interacting is happening over the screen, Yeah, you've talked a lot about the way kids watch screens and how they watch screens and, and how that matters. Can you expand on that and How should parents and educators be thinking about screen time when we are spending so
1: much time indoors? Um, Well, for one, over the summer, we should be spending a lot of time outdoors. And for two, um, we can arrange our outdoors. I think we're learning how to do that now so that we can play a lot of the games that, in fact, you started with the sound game. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it can be done in distance. So Mm -hmm. why not have little circles and each of us stands in the circles five feet away. Mm -hmm. And then we have an echo game where I sing a song to you and you sing it back to me or you pass it to the next person. I think they used to call that whisper down the lane. Mm -hmm. Right. Why can't Mm -hmm. we play Simon says, did you know that that builds executive function skills and it's been tested? Mm -hmm. why can't we do clapping games did you know that clapping games are patterns and that builds later mathematical ability why can't we Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and the answer is we can and we can use some of our public spaces and our outdoor spaces to do all of these kinds of things we just have to think about it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and we have to get our head out of that it must be like it was, Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: know? As I've always said, a bench doesn't have to be a bench. There can be really cool things like puzzles around a bench and maps at the floor of a bench, right? Mm -hmm. We can can make, in in our Parkopolis game, we redesign dice. Who said dice has to be one to six and one to six? Why can't it be fractions?
0: You have been um, really helpful in guiding me as a parent thinking about what to do during this time of transition with preschools closing and not having that space for my oldest daughter and thinking about what's worse, you know, public health implications of socializing or social and developmental delays and academic delays. Right. Many parents are struggling with this decision, how to keep their children safe and also provide opportunities for socialization during the pandemic. How can young children safely play while maintaining physical safety and social distance? And what would you say to parents and educators who are trying to navigate these decisions?
1: I think this is one of the hardest decisions that any parent has had to make. Um, I think this whole period has created parent heroes which is pretty much any parent who has children around. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I admire, I admire you guys so much. You cannot imagine. Um, and I'm trying to, I am trying, you know, I try to imagine all the time. Oh my gosh, if I had my three boys here, like all the time, I, I, think, I think I'd go insane. But, but, you know, it's also, it's also one of the most, amazing periods that any of us will ever spend. So first let me start with the blessing. The blessing is we're getting more times with our kids than we ever dreamed of. Mm -hmm. Um, The blessing is that for the first time in our kids' lives, certainly since the invention of the iPhone, um, our children have had to learn to deal with boredom and to be able to manage and come up with something to fill that space. And I think the first thing we can do as parents is give them that space to do that. Trust them to fill it. You don't have to be the CEO. Let them do it. Now, of course, there are risks in that. So you may want to curate the space a little bit more, like stay in this room if they're really little. (laughs) You know, or make sure you don't get into stuff you shouldn't get into, uh, my eldest once decided to start life cause he read something that, you know, that a lightning bolt into a lake or something might have been the beginning of life. And so <laughs> I found him putting a plug into a sink, thinking oh that that was a good idea. Um, but anyway, you know, we can do that. We have to, you know, create some, some boundaries for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, The second thing is uh, trust yourself. There's not a parent out there who doesn't have a story that's worth telling, who doesn't have an interest that's worth sharing. And that is like theme-based learning, just to be able to share that, just to be able to know. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's use that to our advantage. And I, I I think we can do that. And then rope in the other stuff. Um, Again, as I said, dice don't have to be one to six and one to six. There are many pathways to learning things. And um, some of our kids are going to love doing simultaneous equations. And some of our kids are going to think we're nuts because we like that. You know, but there are opportunities out there that seem to have worked and seem to be interesting and and we're going to have to help find them. Um, Sometimes that'll be what's going on in the classroom. And you know what? Sometimes you just have to do it. You just have to get it done. Even in play, um, you know, you got to practice dribbling the ball if you're a basketball player. Mm
0: -hmm. you got
1: to practice kicking into the goal if you're a forward in Mm -hmm. soccer, you know?
0: These are muscles. These are muscles. muscles.
1: So I'm not suggesting play as all fun and games, it's actually quite serious business. Um, If you have a learning goal, it's quite serious business. But it's like, um, for me, it's kind of like bowling with bumpers. You know, you want to increase the chances that the pins get down, but you don't want to roll the ball for them. Mm. And it will make the game much more enjoyable.
0: That's a great visual. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, <laughs> last, last two rapid fire questions. Yes. Um, Kathy, you do so much as a scientist, as a researcher, as a practitioner, as a mom, as a mentor, as a friend. How do you stay as a wife? How do you stay socially and emotionally well?
1: Um, I literally carve out time for my friends and for activities. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. I am the one who, in my business world, tells people I have a meeting when mm-hmm. the meeting is my tennis game. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'll get I'll get everything done that you want done. I really will, mm-hmm. but um, it ain't going to be to the exclusion of missing my friends.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so we've been playing. Like my social group has done trivia night. Together over Zoom, we have movie night on Saturday night around a fr- at a friend's house where they put up a screen and just did social distancing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's a great time to call people. So mm-hmm. I don't know, with kids, it's a little harder. <laughs> so maybe creating a pod, mm-hmm. you know, and you just all not have to agree on the rules of the pod because otherwise you created a college dorm. Right. <laughs> We're kind of seeing what's happening with that. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's right. Um, you, uh, is there a book or resource, obviously, you've written so much on these topics, that you would recommend all educators or parents take a look at?
1: Well, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of uptake with our book, Becoming Brilliant.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: People tend to, to really love it, and it does outline the six Cs. And um, as I say, we're writing a couple pieces for Brookings that I hope will be really widespread um, that can be helpful. For younger kids also, Einstein never used flashcards uh, mm-hmm. that we wrote gave, gives activities. Uh, if you have, um, you know, a, a toddler, my friend Tova Klein is like a genius at toddlers, And she wrote a really good book on that. Uh, If you have an adolescent, my friend uh, and colleague Larry Steinberg uh, wrote uh, a beautiful book called Age of Opportunity that helps you really um, see what we can do uh, to be the best parents we can be of adolescents. So, I mean, there are some really, really good resources out there. I don't know about your parents. But I was asked a couple of times, you know, would I write the next little handout for whatever? And I keep imagining parents deluged by um, handouts of mm-hmm. activities. Mm-hmm. And frankly, some of that would drive me insane. So I don't know. I tended to like, like there's a beautiful parenting series uh, at home that uh, Children's Museum in Manhattan put out. And you know, sometimes we can watch it. Sometimes we can do things together. And don't forget the power of boredom, mm-hmm. because the people who know how to fill the time, uh, they become the managers and bosses of the future. Mm-hmm. Then tell everybody else what they're supposed to do during the time. Mm-hmm. So think about what you want for your child. And if entrepreneurs in the list, then um, give them a, give them a chance to be the entrepreneur.
0: Mm. amazing thank you so much Kathy let's close I know we are out of time Um, let's just close with one deep breath soaking in all of the fun and play whether it's creating binoculars out of our toilet paper rolls or forts out of our Amazon boxes uh, that we can apply in our homes in our schools through our screens in our relationships let's just take one breath in as we Um, So again, this idea of joy and play and intentionality as we cultivate social emotional skills. So breath in and breath out. Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us. This was so much fun.
1: Total pleasure. Anything for you.
0: Thank you for tuning into the SarahCast today. I loved spending this time with you. Before you go, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in and breathe out. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on movethisworld.com. The Sarah Cast Conversations in Social Emotional Learning is produced by the Move This World Audio Network. Move This World supports social emotional learning for students, their families, and their school communities through evidence based curricula rooted in creative expression and movement. You can find additional resources to support SEL in your district, school, classroom, or home on our website, movethisworld.com. I'll see you next time.